Please Leave podcast, home to stories that haunt. These stories may contain graphic depictions of violence or explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. I only ever got into law enforcement for the same reason most people do anything in their lives. Because my dad wanted me to. Well, my dad, uncle, and grandfather wanted me to because that's what they did. And also because it's one of a small and dwindling handful of career options in my tiny town. The upside is that the job is basically a permanent vacation in a town this size, and aside from a couple of meth-addicted families and the occasional wild animal trapped in an attic or under a porch, my main responsibility is just making sure the coffee and office supplies get ordered each week. Tonight started off like every other night. I shot the shit with Jess until her shift ended at 7, then I ate the lunch Linda packed for me while browsing the internet and reading the paper. Around 10pm, I got a call from Dale, saying that he'd caught some teens trying to smuggle a six-pack out of his convenience store. So I headed over to give them a scare and a talking to. Dale's place is so close I could easily walk, but I took the cruiser for extra drama and even gave the lights and sirens a quick whoop to announce my presence before I killed the engine. As I entered the store, Dale motioned toward the back room, where he'd sequestered the kids to wait for me, and inside I found a pair of equally dingy teens, one sullen and sorry-looking, but the other, I could immediately tell, would be a harder nut to crack. So, what's going on here, boys? I asked in my best and most booming voice. Dale said he caught you all stealing beer from the back cooler. The sorry-looking boy glanced up, and I recognized him as Mike and Jenny Walter's kid, so knew he couldn't have been much older than 13 or 14. You're Mike and Jenny's kid, right? I asked with a healthy dose of disappointment, and tears started streaking down his face at the mention of his parents. Dan's your name, right? He nodded and dropped his head and shoulders as low as they could physically go without rolling himself into a ball. And you? I swiveled toward the other boy who puffed out his chest a centimeter more. I don't recognize you. You from Miller? That's none of your fucking business, he said, but the weak tone of his voice didn't match the fight in his words. Dan perked up a bit and swatted at his companion to stop, looked at me apologetically, then resumed his display of shame and remorse through terrible posture. He's my cousin, Dan mumbled, and the cousin deflated slightly. His name is Pete. Okay, well... Dan and Cousin Pete, I need you to understand the gravity of this situation, so listen up. Stealing is a felony by itself, and if you get the wrong judge, you can spend up to two and a half years in prison for that level of offense. The boys exchanged a terrified look as I continued. 
Not to mention the fact that you're underage, and underage drinking is a Class C misdemeanor, which also carries possibilities of jail time, so I'm gonna need to bring you boys down to the station to process the case. Pete's tough veneer cracked as I finished my sentence, and he joined his cousin in silent crying, which was ultimately my goal, so I pulled back a bit on my bad cop act. That is, unless there's some way you could maybe repay Dale for stealing from him. I mean, I'm real busy tonight and would rather not spend all the time that it takes to file felony charges against two minors. Hmm. Dale stepped through the door when he heard his cue and casually interjected. Yeah, well, I do need help moving that hay before fall. He dropped an armful of soda cases in the corner and pretended to think for a moment. And Beverly has been hounding me to fix the back deck for months. The boy's eyes widened as their chance to maintain their freedom presented itself, then looked to me anxiously, knowing better than to interrupt or draw attention back to themselves. I don't know, Dale. The law's the law, so... Yeah, I think I should suck it up and book the boys. I'm bound by the United States Constitution to protect and serve, after all. I moved towards the boys to collect them, but they sprung to their feet before I could reach them and exploded with promises that they would never steal again if I let them help Dale on his farm instead of sending them to jail. Dale and I dug out the theatrics for a few more minutes for good measure, And then I finally let them off the hook, like I had with dozens of other teens in the past. They collapsed into gooey pools of emotional exhaustion and relief, and I called their parents to let them know that they needed to come collect their young felons and inform them of their son's modified punishments that would revert to jail time if not completed to Dale's satisfaction. Both sets of parents gratefully agreed to see the punishments through, and Dale and I left the boys in the office to count their blessings as they waited for their parents. We chuckled at our collaborative mission to set delinquent lives back on track, then laughed even harder when Dale let me know they'd accidentally grabbed the one brand of non-alcoholic beer he sold. I beelined to the back cooler to fish out a bottle of iced tea that I would try to pay for, but Dale would refuse to let me, as had been our routine for over a decade. Take this on the house, too, he said, and handed me a fresh-baked muffin wrapped in cellophane. For another job well done. This better be one of Beverly's and not some Cisco shit, I joked. Or I'll be slapping you with a menacing charge. (laughs) Get the fuck out of here with that, Dale warned with a smile. I'll see you at yours on Thursday, I responded, as a reminder of the monthly poker night that was his turn to host. See you there, he confirmed, and the door closed behind me. My radio crackled loudly to life as I was shifting my snacks to one hand to open the door of the cruiser, and the bottle of tea slipped to the hard ground below and shattered. I contemplated going back in for another, but reconsidered as dispatch called out my handle for response to a domestic disturbance. I responded that I was on my way, cast a longing look at my ruined beverage, and started up my car. I registered that the address dispatch had given me belonged to my friends Pat and Julie Dillon, who I knew from church. 
and were just about the most gentle and loving couple on the planet. I double-checked the address to confirm that it was, in fact, theirs, then radioed back to dispatch to get some more information on the call. Hey, John. Donna at dispatch answered casually. You're on your way to Dallas? Hey, Donna. I responded lightly. Yeah, this, um, is the Dylan address, right? It is. She confirmed in a slightly more professional tone. Did you get any, um, other information out of them? I hadn't heard either of the Dylans speak above an indoor voice in all the years I'd known them, let alone become physically violent. Um, yeah, she said she was... Donna's voice faltered for a moment as she contemplated telling me what she knew. I'm I'm pretty sure. Uh, She said he'd be... He'd be trying to bite her. There was a silence as we mutually tried to imagine mild-mannered Pat attempting to bite his saint of a wife. It was hard to imagine either of them doing anything that required more aggression than pushing a lawnmower or retrieving a box of Christmas ornaments from a high shelf. So conjuring an image of Pat trying to bite Julie was impossible. He was trying to bite her? I repeated in disbelief, and Donna cleared her throat as she tried to decide what to say next. She cleared her throat again. It, it, it was hard to hear her, and um, she was only on the line for a few seconds. She trailed off before finishing. Uh, uh, but I, I, I could tell she was scared. Real scared. Huh, I said, at a loss of anything constructive to say. Well, I'll be there in two minutes, so... Hopefully it's just a misunderstanding or something. I could tell that Donna was trying to sound confident, but a slight crack in her voice betrayed her. I promised to call her once I was done, and we disconnected just as I pulled around the corner to reveal the Dylan's modest two-story home. Their house matched the rest of the houses on the block at 11pm on a Wednesday night, in that all of the lights were off, but theirs felt different that night. Off, somehow. I studied the immaculate lawn, beige siding and twin large windows on the second floor, and resisted the childlike urge to compare them to two cavernous eyes staring back at me in return. I waited for any sign of life inside, or any indication of a struggle, but all remained silent and still. So, I exited my vehicle and approached the house with an ear out for signs of trouble. I knocked gently on the door, still maintaining hope that there had been a misunderstanding, and I was about to find a bleary-eyed but exceedingly polite member of the Dillon family on the other side, having woken them from the restful sleep of hard-working, God-fearing, upstanding members of the community. I heard an almost inaudible moan, followed by a few creaks and some shuffling. So knocked a little louder and called out for Julie. It's John Burton, Julie. We got a call that uh, you need some help. Can you let me in, please? 
I heard tentative steps approach the door, then watched the dead bolt flip to the unlocked position, followed by more silence. When no one opened the door after several seconds, I called out again. Julie? Pat? I'm going to come in, okay? I just want to make sure you're all okay. I was surprised to see that my hand was shaking slightly as I turned the handle and pushed the door open with a shuddering creak. I stood in the doorway as the quiet of the home swelled to greet me and shouted again, as much out of my own need to shatter the silence as out of concern for my friends. Anyone home? I took a step inside, and as I crossed the threshold, I experienced the shift in air and auditory pressure that you sense when you walk into some homes, and has always made me feel like I'm entering another dimension. This time, my greeting was answered by five rapid, heaving footfalls above me. So I closed the door, crossed the living room, and started a slow ascension up the stairs in the direction of the movement. That you, Pat? I reached in the direction of my firearm and allowed my splayed hand to hover over it in the gunslinger gesture I'd seen so many police make in movies. In the almost 25 years I'd been a police officer, I'd never felt threatened enough to consider deadly force. But my dread was building with every step, and my gun was my only available comfort. I considered radioing for backup, but... Jess had a six-month-old baby at home, and I knew she'd murder me if I interrupted her already interrupted sleep just to find that Pat and Julie were tucked safe and snug in their marital bed. I paused when I was three steps from the landing to listen again. Psst, John. The fierce whisper assaulted my senses from the first floor, and I almost lost my balance as my focus shifted from the floor above me to the ghostly face of Julie Dillon, peering out of a small crack in the door of the kitchen. Jesus, Julie. You scared the sh- Julie warned, and her eyes darted around the room between us. Come she demanded as quietly as she could and i descended the stairs and passed through the living room to meet her she dragged me into the kitchen then before she pulled me down to the laundry room she closed and locked the door at the beginning of the hall once we were down the hall and in the laundry room she closed that door which was nothing more than a flimsy accordion and locked us in with the pathetic flip of a useless latch She leaned in as close to me as she could, and I leveled my eyes with her, which were dark and hopeless with fat tears brimming over their sunken edges. What is going on, Julie? I whispered urgently. Where's Pat? Something is wrong with my husband. Her words came out of her deranged burst of breath and saliva. I could tell she was struggling to maintain any level of composure. She pushed me deeper into the room before continuing. Can you undo it? Please tell me you can. Undo? Undo what? I whispered. The desperation in her eyes pierced through me and wound around my heart until it threatened to burst. 
The puzzles. The, the, the. She searched for the word. The sakako, or, or whatever it's called. Sudoku? The word faltered as it passed my lips. Surely she wasn't bringing up the popular puzzle at a time like this. Yes, yes, Sukudu. Can you undo the Sukudu? Her eyes shone with a hope that hurt even worse than the desperation, and I placed a hand on her shoulder to steady us both while I fought the urge to correct her for a second time. Okay, listen, Julie, I said with an authority that I didn't feel confident I'd earned. I'm going to go find Pat, and we'll all have a little chat and sort this out. No! She screamed at almost full volume, and the footsteps I'd heard before clamored overhead toward the stairs. No. She dropped her voice to a whisper as they descended the stairs loudly, then stopped when they reached the bottom. Julie's eyes were wide and wild again as she frantically issued the rest of her warning. That's not Pat. Something took my Pat. And that, and that, that, that thing is dangerous. It wants me dead. It wants us all dead. I heard a rustling in the kitchen on the other side of the thin door, so I held up a hand for Julie to stay in place then wrenched my arm from her grip and took several slow and silent steps towards the sound. I returned my hand to hovering over my gun, and once I'd reached the folded vinyl masquerading as a door, I flipped the tiny lock back, then gripped the edge and inched it along its track to reveal the hallway and kitchen beyond. The door that Julie had closed and locked was wide open, and I stared painfully into the gaping darkness for any sign of Pat. After several agonizing seconds, my friend appeared and sort of pranced across the doorway, his elbows bent in front of him with his wrists limp at the end of his forearms, in a gesture that reminded me of the choreography from the Beat It music video. As he moved his lanky legs, his knees bent high towards his chest like a child pantomiming a trotting horse, and his head was turned toward me. He had no expression on his face as he passed, but just before it disappeared beyond the edge of the doorframe, he bared his teeth and hissed, which caused me to stumble back a couple of steps. Pat? I called out and charged down the hall before I lost my nerve. You okay, Pat? Julie's worried about you. I heard a few slaps to the left of the door, so I flipped open the lock on my gun holster before rounding the corner and turning in the direction of the sounds. Pat was perched on the kitchen counter, and his legs zigzagged out to either side of him, so he resembled the letter M. He was smiling and transferring his weight from side to side, and the intensity of the motion increased with each sway. I watched, mesmerized for a few swings, as he swayed to the left for the fourth time. He launched himself from the counter, landed on the linoleum on all fours, and scurried past me towards the laundry room. 
Before I could even turn around to follow, I could hear Julie's petrified screams rising from her hiding place next to their new stackable washer and dryer. I spanned the hallway in three steps, managed to fully unholster my gun on the way, and was shouting for Pat to put his hands up before I was even through the door. Julie had squeezed herself far enough behind some shelving that Pat couldn't quite reach her, and he loomed toward her long and branch-like, with his face centimeters from hers. His teeth snapped, slowly but ferociously at his wife's face as she screamed her pleas for him to stop. Pat! I shouted again and flinched as my voice cracked just slightly. Pat! I need you to, to step away from Julie and, and put your hands up. Pat snapped to attention and turned toward me in one swift and fluid motion. His face shifted to reveal the kind and submissive man I'd known for most of my adult life, and his voice was calm and warm as he said, Oh, hey, John, want to see my office? He blinked twice, smiled gently, and tipped the side of his head towards the front of the house. I relaxed a bit as my friend issued the casual invitation. It felt as if he wanted to show me a model plane he'd been working on. I had no doubt that Pat was having some kind of mental break, but I thought if I could keep him relaxed and engaged, I could get Julie safely out of the house and call for medical assistance for Pat. Yeah, I'd love to see your office, Pat. I smiled and nodded in agreement. Why don't, why don't you lead the way? Oh, yes, of course. Pat blushed slightly, which was his reaction any time any amount of attention was aimed in his direction, and politely crossed the laundry room and headed down the hall. I looked back at Julie and gestured for her to run to the neighbors before following Pat's thin silhouette through the dark house. Pat led me to a modest and impeccably tidy room that had a medium wooden desk in the middle facing the door and some book-lined shelves spanning two walls. One of Pat's model planes was displayed in mid-flight in the corner of the room, and his diplomas and commendations from his engineering job were arranged tastefully on the wall behind the desk. The items on his desk were so perfectly squared off to one another that I wondered if he lined them up with a protractor before he'd left them there, and I nodded approvingly as I took it all in. That's a real nice office, Pat. I clapped my friend on the shoulder and he blushed again. You haven't seen anything yet? He sounded almost mischievous as he led me toward the desk. Do you, do you like puzzles, John? He pulled out the chair behind his desk and gestured for me to sit down. I hesitated for a moment, but I knew I needed to stall while Julie got to safety and called for backup, so I plastered a smile on my face and complied. I, I do like puzzles, Pat. I like them quite a bit. Julie got me this book of ciphers for Christmas, and they're downright addictive. 
he pulled a thick paperback book from one of the shelves and placed it on the desk in front of me. I think you'll get a kick out of them, but I gotta warn you, once you start, you can't stop. <laughs> he laughed heartily at his witty warning, and I peeled back the flimsy cover titled 1001 Puzzles, Games, and Ciphers, Advanced Edition. I flipped through the first dozen pages and all of the puzzles had been completed in pencil in Pat's flawless handwriting. What's your favorite kind of puzzle, John? Pat asked, and his eyes gleamed with excitement. Um, I've always liked word finds the best, I think. Pat nodded sharply as if it was the exact answer he'd expected and flipped expertly to an untouched word search titled, I'm having a shell of a time on this beach vacation. As I scanned the page, I noted that all of the words I was tasked to find related to the seaside in some way. I glanced out the window for the whirling lights of emergency services, but the night was still and unbroken. I looked at Pat, who was as content and happy as I'd ever seen him. So I started to trail my pencil gently up and down the rows in my hunt for the word bucket, which was the first on the list. I'd only intended to work on the puzzle until backup arrived, but before I knew it, I'd searched for so many of the words camouflaged among the individual letters that a great deal of time had passed, and my puzzle was complete. I glanced up at Pat, who was standing stationary in the spot he'd been when I'd started the puzzle, and he walked to the desk to study my work. Yes, that's very good. Nice and complete. His head nodded with the satisfied motion of a proud teacher, and he turned to me, our eyes locked as he asked, Now, what do you say we go find Julie? and bite her. Don't you want to find my wife and bite her? Don't you want to bite her and bite and bite her until she dies? Yes, I agreed wholeheartedly. Yes, Pat, I very much do. This story was written by Courtney Eck and narrated by Nicholas Richardson. Our Patreon is officially live, so for more stories that haunt and a behind-the-scenes look at what we do and why we do it, please join our Patreon at patreon slash pleaseleavepod. Please follow Please Leave on Facebook and Instagram at pleaseleavepod. Our email is pleaseleavepod at gmail.com and our website is pleaseleavepod.com. 